Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. everybody and welcome to Narrative. Charlie McGonigal swept through Albanian politics like a tornado. The special agent in charge of counterintelligence at the FBI's powerful New York field office first arrived in the Balkan nation in September 2017. And within two days, he had an audience with the Albanian Prime Minister, Eddie Rama. Within six months, McGonigal was introduced to Oleg Deripaska's sanctioned firm by a friend, who used to work at the Russian consulate in New York. It's an introduction that would prove to be very lucrative for the then 49-year-old counterintelligence boss. McGonigal retired from the FBI in 2019, and by 2021, he was working full-time for Deripaska's firm, earning himself an eye-popping $41,790 a month, a salary paid through a friend's New Jersey company. Throughout this time, McGonigal had been a frequent visitor to Albania, even while serving at the FBI, and it was during these trips that he cultivated his friendship with Prime Minister Rama. That resulted in a $225,000 bribe allegedly being paid to McGonigal. So it's easy to see that when a Liberian-flagged tanker was seized carrying sanctioned Russian oil just last month in Albania, rumors circulated that McGonigal must be involved. Now, analysts in Tirana are speculating that McGonigal and fellow former FBI agent Mark Rossini had set up a legal firm with local businessman Sheftek Dizdari in order to provide the specific necessary documentation for this illicit operation. In other words, they may have been intending to reflag smuggled Russian oil as originating from another country. Dizdari is no stranger to Russian dealings. He worked with Gazprom in 2017 to nationalize three American-operated oil fields. McGonigal has pleaded not guilty in court on two separate sets of charges related to his dealings in Albania and with Deripaska. But neither indictment delves into the oil field scandal nor the new claims of a smuggling operation. Tonight, we welcome Mark Crawford, Chairman Emeritus of the American Chamber of Commerce in Albania. He's had a first-hand view of what the arrival of Russia's oligarchy has done to sleepy Albania. And we'll talk to him about Charlie McGonigal, how a supervising counterintelligence agent at the FBI became the Albanian Prime Minister's fixer while on the payroll of Oleg Deripaska's firm, and is possibly connected to a multi-million dollar scheme to launder sanctioned Russian oil. That's tonight on Narrative. Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the show. Our first guest from Tirana. Is that I'm saying it correctly? 
Yes, that's correct. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm pleased to be here. It's great that you've taken the time to join us. It's quite an intriguing story that you have. It relates back to this McGonagall case that has been so interesting for us here on the show and has certainly caught the attention of many other people. But it's a new element that you're going to be introducing tonight because of the prequel, if you will, to what happened or what we know happened in 2017 and 2018. So I'm really interested to hear how we got here. And I hope you'll help us figure that out. So your job is to be the representative of the American Chamber of Commerce in Albania. You're the honorary chairman there. Tell me a little bit more about how that crossed paths with the oil fields that we're talking about that McGonagall was involved with. I'm from Ohio. I'm American. I'm actually not Albanian, although I've spent quite a bit of time in this part of the world. But I came over working with an equity fund that had some ties to the U.S. government years ago. And uh, have been an entrepreneur in banking and finance for a number of years. And within that volunteer with the American Chamber of Commerce. And that's where I met some of these players that are now coming out in, in this story. So they were members of the American Chamber of Commerce. And I'm talking specifically about the oil fields and the managers of the oil fields, beginning with a group called Stream Oil, which was managed by an Albanian Greek group. But I believe that they were listed on one of the Canadian exchanges. And then they changed hands and eventually moved over to some American hands, which I got a little bit more involved with at that point. Perhaps we should just take a minute here to understand what these oil fields are, because I've come across this in various countries. They're, they're obviously a very lucrative venture for the countries that have these oil fields. And what they do from time to time is they auction them off to the highest bidder. Is that the process? How does the process work? And is it a fair process? Maybe is interesting in the sense that it has... I think some of the larger onshore oil fields in Europe. Now, most of the real big stuff is offshore. So when you're talking about onshore, you're talking about a smaller size type. But in Albania, of course, under communism, they were all integrated. So there were the bigger fields, which had very thick viscosity and the cruder version. And then you had a couple of adjacent operations, which often were used as diluents. So they would mix these in with the bigger one. And then and refine that oil domestically. So for those that don't know much about Albania pre, let's say, free market or democracy, it was basically the North Korea of its day. It had cut ties with China and it had cut ties with Russia. And I'm speaking about Albania proper, the country, rather than Albanians in former Yugoslavia, because some people may know Albanians from, let's say, Kosovo or Macedonia or Montenegro. But Albanians in Albania were quite cut off and tried to be as self-reliant as possible. So these oil fields were all integrated within each other. After communism, they started to break some of these fields up and then let others manage them. And so the idea was that you're going to bring in some Western technology. These fields, to some, in some places, had been a little bit depleted. Perhaps some additional, let's say, horizontal drilling or some new technology might be able to extract some additional oil. But if nothing else, at least we bring in the latest oil in Western thinking and technology. That was the theory on paper, at least. And Albania, just as so everyone's aware, has been generally quite Western-facing and very pro-American. There's not, at least for the, in the recent history, there's generally a, a bit of a love affair going on with uh, the United States and Albania. So it's a friendly country for Americans. Yeah, I think so. There was a wave of Albanian immigration coming, say, pre-communism. and Not too many people got out during communism, but they were pretty firm anti-communists that got to the United States. People might know the name of John Belushi from Saturday Night Live or Mother Teresa as an ethnic Albanian. So those are names that people might have recognized. Nowadays, of course, people know 
the pop stars like Rita Ora or Dua Lipa, which are from Kosovo, or maybe even the lady that's now running ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence group. She's from Albania. Albania and Kosovo are on paper one of the more pro-American countries in the world. And a beautiful part of the world. I think so. It's got the mountains. It's got the sea. It's a northern Mediterranean climate, so it's pretty temperate. Just to the east of Italy, for those that are trying to find it on a map, just north of Greece. So you've got the Greek and kind of Italian weather, which is pretty nice. What's the cost of living there, just out of curiosity? Albania, I guess, tends to compete with Moldova to be one of the cheaper places in Europe to live. Hmm. That may also be a reflection of some of its uh, dysfunctionalism. because. It hasn't launched forward, but in fairness, it's been a country that really has only been a proper country since the early 1900s. And prior to that, it was pretty much part of the Ottoman Empire for 500 years and then dominated by the Romans and whatnot. So Byzantines even. So they've only really had their own unique identity that's not been tribal for the last, let's say, 100 years. So oil and natural resources are important to that economy, obviously, and it's obviously important for them to have foreign investment from the Americans. So it must have been a good thing when the Americans came in and, uh, and won the licenses or, or whatever it is that they get for these oil fields. What are they called? Gorish, Sabran, and Balsh? Is that the name of the oil field? Yeah. So the oil fields, are, there's only a few of them. And the bigger one was actually controlled by the Canadians, and that was called Bankers Petroleum. They controlled about 90 plus percent of the oil production. So the smaller ones are the ones that we're talking about, the Gorda Balsh and the Sopran ones. And those were acquired like by this, he's a billionaire actually out of Dallas, Texas, and quite active in the petroleum sector, been quite active in the U.S. politics, I think. So he's not just somebody that nobody's ever heard of. He's on the Forbes billionaires list. Too easy. And so his name is Malone Mitchell. And so he's been in the industry for a long time. So when we heard that he was coming in to acquire an entity, in that case, you usually just need a sign off from the powers that be. You don't have to reissue the license because you're just basically a new ownership of an existing entity that has that license. So the license had already been given to Stream. Transatlantic just acquired Stream. And so therefore, on paper, everybody was excited. The embassy was excited. I remember the, they, these guys came in. And they were working closely with the ambassador and the embassy directly, which is a little unusual. Not too often does an American company come in directly, let's say, get that level of support. They often come through the chamber, but in this case, the chamber was secondary support. So yes, we were excited about them. And so the American company is called Transatlantic. They acquired a company called Stream, which was the original owners. Is that correct? Of these oil fields? That's that's correct. And then they had the support of the American embassy. So... This we're talking about during the Obama administration, presumably. And so it's November 2014. They, they acquire this stream company. They now own these oil fields. What happens next? I remember meeting them. And yes, it was during the Obama presidency. And I met them at a hotel and went out to, to introduce myself to the CEO, who was an American guy. And he looked surprised. I just deer caught in the headlights, like, who was I and how did I know his name? And I said, aren't I supposed to meet you for coffee? And he said, well... I'm sorry, I'm a little jittery. Somebody broke into our offices and smashed all our computers with a hammer. And so I knew that this was going to be another bulk of the adventure. And I've had a few, but this one seemed like it was a little bit difficult from the get-go. So while we were initially excited that these Americans were coming in, they were meeting some resistance, unusual resistance right away. And so do we know why? I don't know if they ever named who did that. I know that the guys came in And they said, we've got experience all over the world. This particular fellow had been in the Middle East. I think it was in Iraq. 
So obviously he'd been in some hot places and was no stranger to difficult situations. I think coming to Albania at the time, he thought we've got a pro-American NATO ally and we've got an EU candidate. So this must be a little bit of an easier task, but it didn't turn out to be that way. And so he said at that time that the company owed the Albanian government about 20 million euros in debt that had been accrued from the previous owners but was owed by the uh, Albanian government about $7 million, something of that nature. Their first step was, no problem, you just tell us whatever the bill is and we'll cut you a check. If we owe you 20 you owe us 7 why don't we cut you a check for 13 For some reason, the conversation here was more like the Albanians said, why don't you cut us a check for 20 today and we'll talk about the 7 tomorrow. <laughs> And, that is you. and it seemed a little bit petty because these guys are, these are billionaires that, that don't, they're not here to nickel and dime over, you know, what to most people is a lot of money, of course, is a million dollars or a million euros, but they just said, oh, come on, let's just get this out of the way and let's pay what we owe you and move on. But that never actually got resolved while those guys were there. And even though the embassy weighed in as well. And the embassy doesn't always weigh in on these kind of issues, but from what I know they did, they were able to resolve that. And it just seemed like there was a blockage in political will locally. So there's these guys a little distressed. They've had their equipment to mess around with. They've got this <laughs> demand for 20 million. What do they do? Do they decide they're done? Are they over this deal completely? They're a public company. And so they're issuing press releases. So they're listed in Canada and you can even go and see their SEC releases. And at that time, some... People that follow the oil sector may remember the price of oil was under a lot of pressure. So it wasn't $100 a barrel anymore. It was getting down towards 30 or even a little bit under. And so there wasn't a lot of room to maneuver. It wasn't really a sweet deal that somebody might say, let's just tough it out because the price of oil is so great. It was a bad time for oil. It was a bad time for this company. And they were under pressure locally and there didn't seem to be the political wheel to move on. So they issued a release for their investors, press release, that said they're going to look at other possibilities generally in terms of strategic alliances or even divestiture. And I've been on boards of public companies and I've been in banking for, for a while and understand investments. So I know when those kind of issues are mentioned in press releases, that basically means that they're looking for options to get out right. and uh, get out as painlessly as possible. So they try to get themselves out of this thing. And then there's a move by a Russian-backed firm or by a Russian enterprise to nationalize these oil fields? Prior to that, I went to Dallas myself, and I brought a couple of guys who I thought might be able to help manage the company. And so I went to the owners and said, why don't you set up a company and move the assets into that company and allow us to come in as shareholders of it? We'll keep you in the company through some some options. So we, I didn't want the billionaire to come and leave basically on his back because that's the worst advertisement you can ever get for another investor to come in because you say he got one and he got creamed <laughs> and he got creamed because of political risk. So I didn't want that. And so if it happened, it would happen only after I'd exhausted every single possible personal connection I had. So I went in together with a couple of guys and got involved myself. Now, I'm more of a finance guy, and I'm obviously politically connected in the United States and do some work here in Albania, but within that, under that umbrella. So we worked on it for about nine months or so under a lot of 
pushback. We had a lot of headwinds and it's not easy to work overseas, of course, because of the languages, the culture. Those of us that work overseas have to deal with FATCA and other things like that. So when you've got those kind of problems and now it's coming out that there were foreign interests that were not American, that were, I guess, had their eyes on these fields. So towards the tail end of when we were actively managing the project, the Russians apparently appeared and uh, there, you may have some of, of those documents. I do. I'm just curious about the Russian involvement here. Do you think they were involved in intimidating the initial team that arrived from transatlantic? Do you think they, this might've all been part of that, that they intimidated them out and then, and then were, this was all part of a big scheme to try gain control? I don't know when they first entered. I spent quite a bit of time in Serbia and Montenegro and the Russian presence there after the Yugoslav wars is much higher and was much higher and more visible. When people would ask about Russians in Albania, I tended to say that I didn't see them. And uh, now that may just be that I didn't see them, but they were still there. <laughs> they may have been there actively pursuing things behind the scenes or through Albanian entities. It's now been alleged that they've got some folks here in Albania that are quite willing to work with both sides of the aisle, so to speak, in terms of the Russia-American relationship. So I didn't see Russians very much back then on the surface. And though now when I look back, a lot more makes sense in the terms of the pushback and really the reluctance on the part of some of the Albanian ministers and in the Ministry of Energy to really facilitate a good relationship with American investors, which I would have normally expected. In my understanding is that Oleg Deripaska is actually quite involved in Albanian commerce. Do you know very much about how involved he is and what level of involvement he has? I know his name, of course, I've not met him, but he's been in the Balkans for quite a while. And I know him in relation to Albania only through what was released by the United States indictment. I first came across him actually in Montenegro. Of all things, I was supposed to meet Senator John McCain, who was alive at the time. And I remember it because it was McCain's birthday. And this has been reported in the news. I think the Atlantic had an article about it, but I didn't wind up meeting him for breakfast that day in town for a Russian delegation. And later that day, apparently he and Mr. Derry Pasco wound up on a yacht with the actress Anne Hathaway. Oh, so, I mean, I can understand, <laughs> I can understand dropping me for breakfast and rather going with one of the actresses from Hollywood. I'm an Ohio guy and I tend to be more involved with Republicans, so. If you're going to run for president, you might want to have breakfast with me rather than the Russians. I guess not. I had Anne Hathaway. <laughs> you did not have Anne Hathaway. No, I guess not. Yeah, <laughs> there are lots of swing. It's an interesting anecdote because it certainly reminds us that, you know, Oleg Deripaska is famous for this yacht diplomacy where he shows up and picks up politicians and wines and dines them on these yachts and tries to gain influence that way. It certainly is interesting that right. you mentioned Montenegro as well, because I think Manafort was there as well at some point running some sort of operation for Deddy Pasca. That was reported in the article. I didn't meet him during that trip. You're dealing with some characters that we're all familiar with. This is all still before the Trump administration came into power. Yeah, I guess the Deddy Pasca Montenegro event happened back more than 15 years ago. So tell me about this one document. So, so that first document dated on the 26th of September, 2016. So during this period, my group together with the American billionaire were still in, in management control of these fields. And it was from an Austrian who had alleged Russian connections, an Austrian company. And it was writing to the Albanian government to say that we are very interested to take three fields, one of them being Gorish, which we controlled, one of them being Sakran, which we controlled, and the other one being Avanitsa, which was a smaller field controlled by an affiliate of ours, but not directly under our control. So 
they were interested basically in two of the three fields managed by the Americans and then another one. These were not the major producing fields, but these were fields that were used as diluents and could be mixed with other oil in order to help the viscosity, basically, to, to either for extraction or transport. So that happened in September 2006. The governments responded to say that they are thinking about taking these fields from us, which were the Americans, basically. And they weren't sure if they were going to be able to continue with us. They might continue with us, but they weren't quite sure. The Albanian government had decided that they were considering to nationalize these oil fields, take them away from you, and that they might consider this other company, this Austrian company, as a possible purchaser of some of these oil fields. Is that right? Well, they had been threatening this prior to my involvement, back when the American guy said, hey, we owe you 20, you owe us seven, let's pay 13. And they would write these official letters to say, pay us 20 right now or else we're going to take the fields. And then we'll talk about the seven tomorrow. The threats of taking the fields had been going on for quite a while. That was a new thing. The idea that somehow these alleged Russian ties were coming in, this appears in public information at this stage. Then in December 30th, I think 2016, there was another document where they basically tell the minister that they're going to go ahead and negotiate with these alleged Russian guys out of Austria. And then in January, they did in fact nationalize a couple of those fields and then went after the third field, which was run by one of our affiliates in March. That was subsequently answered by our group with a claim in arbitration, which is a Swiss arbitration, which was under our contract. We initiated that pretty much right away. And then there's a, that third art, which is an interesting one because it's this local fellow that shows up and he's got one of the local fields. And he's writing to Gazprom in that letter. It's in English. And he says, he says, hey guys, you Russians I hear are trying to, to get these fields through your affiliate in Austria. Now, what are you doing? Because we're your Russian guys here is what he's saying. He's, he says, why are you using these other fellows? We're the, we're the official the representatives of Gazprom. The folks that you're going to work with here. And this is the Dizdari guy who later we'll see was a partner with both Rossini and McGonagall and person A, which was repeatedly a Nezai, which come back into this oil question that, that is in the indictments. All of this is happening as we're seeing the Trump administration get elected. And then you talk about the nationalization of it actually happening in January or December. That's exactly when the Trump administration took office with a fairly controversial energy secretary who was also involved in this sort of activity in Ukraine, trying to buy oil fields and what have you in Ukraine. And that led up to the other scandal, which landed up being the first impeachment. It was similar timing, if not a similar pattern, but you are seeing the Trump administration take office and then this announcement taking place. And now there's two competing uh, Russian-connected firms trying to take over these oil fields that were previously owned by American firm and that are now being nationalized. Yeah, I'm not sure. And again, maybe some more information will come out in terms of the Trump administration. Albania has generally been pro-American regardless if it was Bush or Clinton, Obama or Trump. Although the prime minister was very reticent to support Trump initially, and he even went on CNN in the United States and says, don't vote for Trump. That's what he said. So the interesting thing is that I'm fairly active and that even I'm one of the global vice presidents of Republicans overseas, and the billionaire is one of the bigger Republican donors. So it would be 
it's it's another twist that I don't have the answers for, mm-hmm. but it, it might be worth looking into. Why would the Trump administration, or would they be aware of this? And if so, why would they sabotage an American? And even more so, why would they sabotage somebody who's ostensibly politically, let's say, more aligned to them than others might be? Some people would say that the Trump administration had ties to Russians, and certainly Russia viewed them more favorably than the Clinton alternative and more favorably than Obama. Who knows what kind of deal could have been going on behind the scenes? And we don't know. I'm going to pretend that we do. But there could have been an effort to at least the Russians might have thought it may be a more favorable field for them to play in if they went after these fields, knowing that Trump is in the White House and it's a more favorable administration in the United States. So that's the most sort of benign version of that. I've sometimes seen this foreign influence come in from non-American actors and they'll support basically both sides. They may prefer one to the other, but really at the end of the day, whoever wins, it's just a four-year term, at least in the American. And so wouldn't it be much more long-term thinking to cause chaos and division? So great if the guy or the lady that, that we like wins, but as long as we cause some, some bad feelings, which in America certainly works, then Russians winning, right? Depends. Yeah. I mean, you can have various views on that and I could debate you on that for a long time, but it's assume that you're correct and their intentions were more domestic oriented. It is interesting that the same players are involved though. You talk about Deripaska. These are exactly the same players causing said chaos in the United States, maybe also in an effort to gain some opportunity elsewhere. And this might be an effort for them to try and gain that opportunity. You've got Firm A from Austria, they're coming in there. They're saying they'd like these fields. The fields get nationalized. Meanwhile, Mr. Dostari shows up and he's saying, no, wait a second, Gazprom, this is the Russian gas firm. You should be working with us, not with the Austrian firm that you're working with. And he sent them a letter saying essentially that. Pretty, pretty plain, basically alludes to taking legal action against them and the uh, Austrian firm if he doesn't get what he wants. Um, and it appears to be that the Austrians disappear from the sea. And it seems like the domestic group, Transoil, is the one that suddenly becomes, let's say, the leader. In this document, he says it's Transoil Group in Switzerland. It's to Vladislav Barishnikov, who's a deputy general director of international business development at Gazprom Neft. And it says, I would like to send you this reaction in order to sensibilize you regarding some actions undertaken by the representative of your affiliate in Novi Sad, Mr. Igor Tarasov, who has gravely violated the code of ethics and honesty, aiming to involve Gazprom Neft in a masked way in oil and gas agreements in Albania, while he has entered into a non-disclosure and trust agreement with the company Trans Oil Group. Daughters in Northern Serbia, which, okay. you know, of all places, well, Albanians from Albania don't have the same exact history as Albanians from Kosovo with Serbia. Just the fact that Albania as a NATO ally is working very closely with the Russians through Serbia is very unusual. And so he's, of course, complaining that, that this group out of Serbia and then indirectly this group out of Austria right. were basically coming into his territory. So he's saying at the same time, Mr. Robert Novikovsky, an Austrian dealer, he's making the same violation by using the name of a phantom company called Jurimex Commerce Transit, GES, Transoil Group has expressed directly, openly, and clearly such concerns to the higher representatives of the Russian Federation Embassy in Tirana. So he's not saying make the deal with us. He's just saying it's bad for you to be trying to make a deal with them. Or is he saying you need to be making the deal with us? He's saying 
deal with us. Okay. Okay. Commonly well, spoken English in the world, bad English, but uh, translated. he's basically saying, yeah, he's basically saying that you agreed to work with us when we were in St. Petersburg. He references that there's a face-to-face discussion that they had in Russia, that they were supposed to be the guys to represent a gas problem in Albania. He's upset, basically, that the Russians appear to be coming after these fields from multiple different angles, Right, which may just be a normal strategic approach, maybe from a business point of view, makes sense. From a local person, personality point of view, people get their toes stepped on and they get really upset. And then you get a letter like this. This is when Garnigal first shows up, right? This is the June or July 2017. From the indictment that the Americans have in the courts, this is where he's first referenced. But yes, at this stage, the, let's say the rogue Americans start to show up. And uh, this is still in the middle of the arbitration that they're having with us, which are the American investors that the embassy was originally supporting. And then the, you now have some documents that pretty clearly state that the Russians, through multiple avenues, are trying to get involved with these fields. And again, these fields are not the major fields in terms of volume in Albania. They are what they are interesting because they are diluent fields. They are fields that you can mix with other thicker oil. That comes back later because I think with some of the more information that we've seen here in Albania in terms of oil lobbying. So this is where that kind of question starts to pop into people's minds. And they're like, hey, wait a second. Why are the Russians so interested in these small little oil fields in Albania of all places? And why are they going out of their way to compromise American officials to get to Albania of all places? And yeah. <laughs> And then you start to think about, well, wait a second, what's going on, really going on here? Because Gonigal shows up and meets the prime minister, Rama, and conversation is ostensibly, he tells people, part of it was warning him not to sell oil fields to Russian interests, right? That's part of the conversation in the midst of this friendship that they were building was don't sell these oil fields to the Russians or be wary of Russian interests. Technically, that's correct. If he, and as we now know, that he later got into business with his diary, he basically said, don't work with the Russians, or at least don't work with those Russians in Novisad. Don't work with those Russians in Austria. And maybe that's an incomplete paragraph. And there was an additional sentence to say, but consider working with these guys. On the one hand, you've got Rama saying, hey, listen, go dirty up my, my opposition party here by talking about their lobbyist in, in Washington, D.C. Start an investigation on that. And then you've got him saying back to Rama, don't sell your oil fields to the Russians. And then he lands up in partnership with a local businessman who later we find out was also in bed with the Russians, but actually at that point was just presenting himself as a local individual. Do we know how he got in touch with if McGonagall and Desdari ever met prior to this meeting with Rama? Were they involved in this meeting with Rama or how did that work? Because later on, he became a business partner of Sheftek Desdaria. So do we have any more information that's floating out there as to how they might have Connected? We don't know exactly. I could take some guesses. <laughs> some of these. The indictment, the, in, yeah, the indictment suggests that there's certainly a, a Dairy Posca connection, which has been longstanding in terms of both what the FBI was investigating and potentially the, their involvement in Albania. This dark, he specifically suggests that he was in touch with the Russian embassy. He was specifically says that he was in person in okay. Russia to talk to Gazprom. Yeah. The Russian ties are face-to-face. Okay. They're pretty strong, apparently. Where the connections are ultimately like made, maybe they'll come out later, but there's certainly enough people between the Democrats in the Senate and the Republicans in the House and 
all the courts in the U.S. and everybody else looking at this, there may be some more public information that comes out. But it certainly seems like around this time, the arbitration is going on. There's a potential, let's say, as the British say, a spanner in the works or a wrench in the plan that uh, maybe the fields go back to the original American investors because, you know, that isn't impossible. And that's not what the Russians would have wanted, of course. They, McGonagall and Dizdari are apparently saying, don't work with the Russians, or at least don't work with those Russians, work with our Russians. And uh, the, the process continues to go on to where uh, apparently, according to the indictment, they meet the prime minister and discuss this issue. And you said there's a connection between Deripaska and Dizdaria, possibly one. Do we know what that looked like? Do we know if, we certainly know McGonigal was paid by Deripaska's firm post-2018, once he left the FBI. But at this point in 2017, there isn't that indication that he's getting paid by Deripaska at this point. I think he's only getting this 250000 whatever it was, from this former Albanian intelligence agent who's now a businessman. So do we know if Jerry Pasco was involved at this point? Is there an element of him being involved with Sheftek Dastari? No, from some public information that Rossini had been involved and potentially with the Russians through some lobbying in the past. And we know that Rossini is also a partner with Dastari and McGonagall. And so who said what to whom and when? I think there's some reference to it in the indictment, but they, just working from the public information, it, it, yeah. there certainly seems to be some connections there and some common interests there, which aren't necessarily American interests, <laughs> certainly not yeah. American investor interests. In an environment where there's a lot of chaos in the United States because of a new president, which is introducing a whole bunch of new new factors into the field, you've got lots of people in the State Department, who are no longer there, have been fired for whatever reason. There's just a lot more awareness around the world of four American interests. And you've got, you know, Russia potentially looking for to exploit that chaos locally by getting some of these oil fields or acquiring them. It is the height of cheek, if you will, to then hire FBI agents to come and do this dirty work for you. But that appears to be what they did. The Minister of Energy, he actually went to the United States in February of 2018 and told the U.S. Congress, we got to be careful of the Russians. And so he ends up going to tell America, hey, watch out, we got Russians around. And then he turns around and comes back and awards the fields to this firm which by this time we're getting up to where McGonagall had retired from the FBI. And then he came out, he'd come out several times to Albania. One of those times he received a medal from the Minister of Energy, which was posted on Facebook for his service to the country. Now they, they formed a limited liability company in Albania. They McGonagall, the managing member of that LLC together with Rossini and person A, who's Nezai Dizdari. They did get awarded those fields, but it got gummed up a little bit in the local courts because other bidders for those fields challenged it. So some of the transfer of management didn't actually occur. Who was awarded the oil fields? Transoil. Okay. How did McGonagall get, how would he have gotten funded out of those transactions? So a lot of times in these oil management fields, the actual operator, because of amortization or appreciation or some of the other expenses that they can deduct, they're actually not making a lot of money, but some of the affiliated firms are making money. So that may be one angle that they were pursuing. The real concern, I think, that was raised more recently by some analysts 
has to do with a tanker that was stopped in the port of Duras, which is the main port of Albania. It was stopped this past month, and it held oil that passed through Greece on a ship that was flagged out of Africa, and it, it reputedly has a Russian oil in it. And so the idea that Albania is being used to launder oil, not launder money directly, but launder oil, is now on the table. And now Albania has long had issues with money laundering. It's been one of the largest producers of illegal marijuana at the time. In fact, I made a movie about it that was on Netflix, an action movie. But anyway, Albania has had issues with money laundering, but this is actually oil laundering. And then you start to, to think if these smaller oil fields were part of the Russian portfolio and they were fields that were diluents that you could mix with other oil, would that be an advantage to a country? country that's trying to get around sanctions? Would that mm. be an advantage to a country that was trying to, to potentially evade import-export obstacles? So then you start to wonder, maybe a strategy that would be in the interests of Russia to acquire access to countries or countries on the fringe of major markets, which Albania is, because it's an EU accession country. And has good relations ostensibly with the United States, maybe there would be some advantage there. And that is an interesting theory that's suddenly confirmed by this tanker that shows up in the, in the port and gets stopped with Russian oil. And so if that's going on and you've got a firm that's a law firm or an investigation firm that's sitting alongside these kind of transactions, actually you can get a lot of money flowing through that kind of an advisory or legal advice kind of scenario. Right. And a lot of times... In this part of the world, the law firms are the point of contact for sometimes gray market activity because they're the ones that study the water and gum up the system if they get caught. Potentially, and let me put, say some things that I'm, you probably can't say, but potentially you've got a, a former FBI agent, a senior former FBI agent in counterintelligence, who is now on the payroll of Oleg Deripaska's company, setting up a law firm in Tirana to profit of potentially the illegal sale of Russian oil that is contravening sanctions. And on behalf of his partner, Sheftek Dizdari, who's also partnered with the Russians. It's been a theory that's been posted by, by some of the analysts more recently, simply because of the oil that's been you know, stopped in Endorse. The other question is, if these guys are really willing to influence an FBI agent, if, as alleged, Rossini was willing to go down and try to bribe the governor of Puerto Rico. But yeah. if you're willing to do that, would you be willing to go and influence our arbitration proceedings? I don't know. Arbitra arbiters are not public publicly elected officials. They are just law firm. Law firms, basically. That's a possibility. I'm reluctant to speculate on what has happened. I hope that some more information comes out okay. to either rule that out or if there's more information that comes out. But I think we, the arbitration itself is public information information in terms of who the parties were and what was involved. And so I think had the arbitration gone negatively and the oil fields gone back to that group where the original American billionaire was involved with, then what do the Russians do? So that's one question. If they lose badly in the arbitration and then they give it over to the Russians, what do they do? How do you manage the public perception? In fact, the company that the American billionaire was affiliated with, they did win a smaller judgment. But the Albanian press, interestingly, reported the exact opposite, that they that the government had won. And then they shuffled the fields over to the Russians. So the public 
let's say, perception management was that the government had gone to arbitration. They had actually won. And then they, they put the fields off to another firm, came out later through the Ministry of Finance's audit that the government had lost. How comfortable the government and the Ministry of Energy would have been to shuffle those fields over to the new manager just after an arbitration they had lost, I don't know. But if you look at the spin that was put on it, the fact that they had lost did not come out until a bit later, certainly after McGonagall and Rossini and the other advisors were involved. So it's, it's a little bit of a concern, certainly as an American that's trying to promote American interests to think that not only do we have to battle culture and language and other like tax issues and just the global marketplace, but we have to fight our own FBI when we're overseas, which makes it pretty darn hard to run a business. I mean, it's, and, it's kind uh, of stunning. That's, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost something you can't really make up, but certainly the information's coming together. That raises these concerns to a level that's, that's actually legitimate. Has the FBI spoken to you about their investigation into this case? Have they spoken to you about what Garnagal's involvement might have been? I haven't spoken to them about this. No prosecutor's been in touch with you and said, hey, you know, about that deal. No one's, got, no one's spoken to you about that? No. What I do is with the American Chamber of Commerce tends to be very public. So whatever I know is certainly not classified. Mm -hmm. I tend, if someone wants to Google me on YouTube or whatnot, they'll find over 200 public appearances mm -hmm. where I've been in the media and I say what I think. And I often do it in Albanian. And so it's not a secret what I know because I go out and say it. <laughs> so yeah, nobody needs to wonder what I think about all. And I tend, I recently said, I think that we've got some issues. I don't know all the answers, but. We certainly, as Americans, need to clean up our own house before we start going around telling everybody else to clean up theirs. And I'm not hard to find if the embassy or if somebody has questions for me, they certainly can reach out. But uh, I've testified in front of the U.S. Congress before on tax issues for people overseas, so they know who I am. Um, uh, but no, I haven't discussed this with the FBI or any prosecutors. Because they have said publicly that they've done an exhaustive investigation and they know exactly what the extent of McGonigal's involvement was, but it can't be that they've done an exhaustive investigation because they haven't really covered all the stuff that's happened in Albania and any of these indictments. And the fact that they haven't been in touch with you or anybody else involved in the Albanian side of what could be an intelligence challenge. And this is not just, this is a, this is an adversary of the United States we're talking about. This is Russia we're talking about. If you've got a sanctions busting effort by a former FBI agent, it's pretty significant. And that needs to be investigated by the party's concerned they can't have done an exhaustive investigation if they don't know all this stuff and they haven't spoken to you and the other parties. And that's, that is a little bit challenging considering the environment we're in. Well, I assume that they've done an exhaustive investigation if they say they have. I assume that they've not released all the information publicly as well, <laughs> given the questions you just raised. Yeah. At the same time, the Senate is looking into it with the Senator, I think, White House from Rhode mm -hmm. Island. Jim Jordan from Ohio is looking into it. I'm not sure they're at the end of their investigation. I expect that they're probably at the beginning of their investigation. It sounds uh, like there's something those, to investigate. Uh, you've got this case with McGonigal and Rossini. Then you've got this other case with McGonigal's predecessor at the counterintelligence office in New York, Louis Bledel, who was also involved in another part of the scheme where he gets a contract from the prime minister there in exchange for who knows what they landed up exchanging for that. It just seems like this is not isolated to just these two former agents, there's a third possible agent, and maybe even a fourth that's involved in what seems to be a large-scale scheme in favor of the Russians 
using former FBI agents in a NATO country and a friendly country. Albania is meant to be an ally. And so for us to be running around there promoting Russian interests is just unfathomable, really. Can't make it up, as you point out. Yeah. I think that generally it's the correct impression to think that Al Albanians and Albania is an ally, but clearly there are elements of power within the country that are saying one thing and doing another thing. Uh, and that the Albanian-American relationship on a political level has always been, let's say, unusual. Albania has helped America, both sides of the political aisle, with what I believe to be foreign policy mistakes, whether it was to dealing with some prisoners in Guantanamo Bay that happened under the Bush administration, whether it was almost dealing with steering chemical weapons under the Obama administration, whether it was dealing with the Mujahideen, whether it was dealing with the recent Afghanistan difficulties and the withdrawal. Albania has stepped up to help. Now the question is obviously raised, okay, these guys are helping us out when we need their help. And then we hear rumors of, okay, corruption, maybe we blink an eye. Okay, rumors of drug dealing, maybe we blink an eye. Maybe rumors of money laundering, we blink an eye. Suddenly rumors of FBI agents being corrupted for the Russian interests. Everybody's, whoa, where did this come from? Yeah. It didn't come out of nowhere. It came right. step by step because everybody's blinking an eye to the obvious problems that are in this country. And somebody needs to say, okay, this is enough. Let's clean this up. And let's, forget, let's stop pretending that everything's fine when it's not really that fine. I think that's a really good place to leave it. And I think you're absolutely correct. I think it's happening everywhere. People are realizing that we've been blinking an eye at a lot of things in, in the United States and certainly internationally. And we can't let that happen because once you let that happen, it allows all sorts of other things to go on. We've gone through a lot of the public information is out there and some local journalists have done some pretty good digging into it. And I think it's great that you're now bringing this out into the English speaking crowd because yeah. a lot of this information just hasn't been lined up in terms of the timeline in terms of looking at just the facts and just letting the facts speak for themselves. I don't even know that you have to do a whole lot of an analysis. Just the average person looking at this will say, hey, wait a second, this doesn't seem right. And maybe this is not even, doesn't seem right, but it's not right. Yeah. So yeah. now it's the question of what do we do about it? Exactly. And I think there is, it highlights how important that an independent investigation into this is, or someone independent looking at all of this is. It's not, it's never really efficient. And we haven't even touched what happened in the, in 2016, during the election campaign, where McGonagall was involved in all sorts of aspects of the investigations into Hillary Clinton and into Donald Trump. And those things need to be looked at very carefully because yeah. people, are, if people are corrupt on one side helping the Russians. It is a possibility that they're corrupt on the other side helping the Russians as well. And certainly what we saw in the I FBI. I think it's a valid point. And there are other, let's say, rabbit holes on this, let's say, issue as well, because person B is also connected to this case. And according to the indictment connected to the oil fields and according to pictures connected to the Chinese and oil there, and even has some ties allegedly to what you mentioned, as well as guys who are, who are also pictured with President Biden's son. So it's a quite an interesting web of intrigue. Not all of it maybe connects to this exact issue, but it's, there's a lot to be dug through. Yeah. And it's obviously an attempt to suppress information around it, or at least contain it to just McGonagall's wrongdoings and a portion of of this, but it, it's a much bigger story than that. And it certainly deserves a proper investigation and it needs more attention from the media as well, because so far they've been able to keep it to a couple of articles here and there. This is a significant scandal and this is not something you can ignore, not in these times. Every minute of Narrative's reporting 
Every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative, where truth lives.